What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. He's starting to feel a little bit out of control. He's starting to see that his options are, are starting to, to dwindle down at this point. It, it seems like every single day he goes out into the fields and checks to see, just, just hoping, praying for just a little bit of rain, just, just a little bit, some sign that this famine is finally going to be over, that they're going to be able to have crops again, that they're not going to have to let another uh, livestock pass away or get rid of something else or, or just see some sort of glimmer of hope because it's been a very hard year going on two years now in this very dry time in the land of Canaan. See, Jacob has been in, in, in the farming business his entire life. He's taken care of livestock he, for his father-in-law Laban. He did that for a long time. He is in the farming business and he's never seen it this bad before. It's never been like this where they are just out of food. They're out of options. They're out of resources. And everything around him, it just seems like everything is spiraling out of control. His, his brothers, or his brothers, his, his sons came back from Egypt minus one, minus Simeon. Simeon didn't come back. And not only that, they brought some food, but all of a sudden all their money was there and they, they don't know why it was there. And so they've got that hanging over their heads. Simeon is still there. And on top of all of that, the prime minister of Egypt, which they don't know is their brother Joseph and son Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt is asking if they are to return, they better bring Benjamin, the youngest son, the last one that Jacob considers like his, his, his beloved children. He had Joseph and he had Benjamin. Those were the two that his uh, favorite wife Rachel had, and all he has left is Benjamin. And when they return back, they said that the prime minister of Egypt wants them, if they're ever going to come back and get more grain, that they have to bring the youngest. They have to bring Benjamin. And so Jacob at this time is probably just putting his hands to his forehead and being like, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know, I, I'm, I'm at my end. Their crops aren't growing. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off, okay? Dumb and dumber, you got me? That's where Jacob is at in life, and he just wants to go somewhere where the, where the beer flows like wine. <laughs> okay, I'm done with the dumb and dumber references. Um, but he just wants to go to a place where he knows somebody, where they can plug him into the social pipeline. Okay, I promise, that was the last one. <laughs> that, was, that was the last one. I didn't even plan to do that, but I'm gonna do it on Sunday for sure. Um, Jacob is, is at his end, and he can't, he, he doesn't know what to do anymore. He doesn't know. Have you felt that way before? Man, we find ourselves here in Genesis chapter 43 of detours and delays, and I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I feel like I've gotten way more detours and delays than just straight road. And, and we talked about this last week, that the, the God's path for us is, is rarely straight, paved, and, and, and flat. It's, it's full of detours and delays. We got to go around. We got to go this way, that way. We thought we were going to be going straight. We got to go right. Now we got to go left. Like, ah, uh, sometimes he's just like, I wish it was just a straight road. Sometimes we feel like in those detours and delays, maybe we feel like God's not there with us or whatever it is, that like God's abandoned us. And I can guarantee that, that Jacob might be feeling that right now too. 
And I love stories like Genesis 43. I love series like Detours and Delays because it tells me that I'm not alone. If I like Why This Family, because it shows that everybody's got a messed up family, nobody's perfect. Detours and Delays is here to say, man, you are going to be going through some stuff. In your life, you're going to face famines. You're going to face detours and delays. But what God but, but what man intended for, for harm, God intends for good. We're going to get to that in a chapter upcoming. But right now we're in 43, and uh, this is a turning point chapter for the family of Jacob. This is, this, is, this is where things start to shift even more so. Last chapter, last week, was the beginning of that shift where the brothers are starting to show some remorse for what they've done, and it goes even further today. So without further ado, let's get started in Genesis chapter 43. If you have a Bible with you, we encourage you to read along with us. I read out of the ESV, uh, but we encourage you to do that. So here we are, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little bit of food. Buy us a little food. The famine is going on longer than what they thought it was going to. They probably thought this was going to be a passing famine. It's going to be fine. They'll take care of it. Whatever. This is going to be okay. We can get through this. This is not that big of a deal. We've gone through some, some bad sprouts before. We've had famines before. But it gets into year two. It's going on longer than they thought. And maybe, maybe Jacob thought with the grain that they had that the brothers had brought back, he was, he was counting uh, Simeon as a lost cause. I, I think based on this scripture, he was saying, well, I guess I already lost one. What's another one? He's, he's lost in prison in Egypt. We're never going to see him again. I will sacrifice Simeon to save Benjamin is what his thoughts were. He's thinking, man, we, we've got enough grain. I think we'll be able to make it through this. And he had to be looking at the sacks of grain at some point and just as the days went on, seeing those, those, that grain get less and less and less and then the fear starting getting higher and higher and higher. Kind of like, I don't know about you, but uh, it, March of 2020, when, when COVID first hit, I was like, yeah, this is going to be pass in probably, what, three weeks? We're going to be done with this, no problem. Sometimes these things, they go a lot, a lot longer than what we thought of. And then, I don't know why we always think at the turn of a new year, it's like, oh, 2020 is over, so obviously everything is going to get back to normal January 1st, 2021. Great, perfect. You know, I don't know why we think that that when the year changes like that's when <laughs> that's when new things can happen i don't know that's when things magically get better uh, yeah Famines don't care about what the year is or what the date is. Spiritual famines, uh, pandemics, um, war, any of that kind of stuff. The, these things that are global things that we we have no control over. It doesn't. Ma- the date doesn't matter. So are we preparing? I remember thinking that man. March 2020, I was like, okay, this is going to be a rough few weeks. Kids are going to get a couple weeks off school. They'll be back after spring break. I was wrong. (laughs) I was wrong. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 3, but Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we, uh, sorry, I just lost my spot. Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will rise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed we would now have returned twice. So that it leads to the credence that, yeah, he was holding this thing out. Jacob was holding this out, or Israel was holding this thing out, so uh, hoping that this would end sooner than, than what it is. And, and now Judah, we see, taking a position of leadership among the brothers, which is an important thing because of who the line of Judah, what that brings about. We're starting to see this transformation of Judah. Before he was the one who was like, hey, let's make some money off of Joseph. Let's not just kill him. 
Like, what, what would that do? We can profit off of him. Instead of leaving him in that pit to die, let's make some money off of him. So he had leadership qualities. They were just shifted a little bit. Now, th- okay, so here, I, I wasn't going to go here, but this just reminded me of it, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. God will often shift our focus to his priorities and his purposes, okay? So we're born with gifts. We have things that we're good at. We have natural abilities. Uh, Judah is probably a natural leader. He's able to take people. He's able to attract a crowd. He's able to lead his brothers in a way that Reuben can't because Reuben has done some stuff as well that uh, has kind of forbidden him from, from being in a leadership position. And, 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 and he's the oldest brother. Then we have Judah. And Judah kind of takes the reins on all of this. And, and the brothers, for some reason, want to listen to him. And now his dad is listening to him. So Judah takes a leadership position. Whereas before it was a leadership position to get rid of Joseph, to make sure that he uh, w- was taken care of and they also made some money. Now he's taking his leadership position and using it for the benefit of the family, using it more for what God has intended him for. And, and we see this happen all the time in scripture. God changes us, but he doesn't change us completely. Like we, we think about this like this, uh, when, when we are changed by God, he changes our focus. He changes us. He changes our priorities and he changes our focus so that we're not focused on, on the things of the flesh anymore, but of the things of the spirit. There's like this, this pivot that happens. You think about the apostle Paul, right? Who was Saul before. He was a guy who murdered Christians, who hated Christians, wanted to to persecute them, he could gather a crowd. He could ignite a crowd. He could really motivate a crowd to, to kill people. Then he's on that road to Damascus, has this miraculous encounter with Jesus, goes blind, and his life changes. Now, the things that he's gifted in doesn't change. The things that he's gifted in continue to stay the same. He can still draw a crowd. He can still lead people, but now he's leading people to Christ, not away from Christ. And I think the same thing happens with you and me. We all have giftings. We all have things that we're capable to do. Are we doing them for God or not? Are we doing them for Jesus or not? Jesus wants to shift our focus, to shift our priorities towards him. That's what's happening with Judah. Okay, verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, mm, and almonds. (laughs) Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Israel at this point is out of options. Again, talked about it in the intro And we talked about it last week. Famine drives need. There was no need to go to Egypt before. Now there's a need. And now there's an even bigger need to go. And now he has to sacrifice everything to fulfill this need. And what we see in these these few verses, 11 through 14, all of a sudden we see Jacob start to fade into the background and Israel starts to come through. You remember when when Jacob's name got changed to Israel, it happened a couple of times, but one of the times was when he was wrestling with God and God changed his name to Israel. For you have fought with God and have prevailed is what it said. And so uh, what that meant was you have finally sacrificed everything. You've given up control. You've given up everything. And here we have Jacob trying to control things again and now they're out of food. So Jacob is starting to fade into the background and Israel is starting to push through. This new redeemed name, this the redeemed redeemed and renewed name of Jacob is starting to push through and the name is Israel. What we saw before of woe is me, woe is my family, why did you have to tell them that we had a brother, Ugh, why, or that you had a brother, why did you have to talk about the youngest son, why did you have to do this, it would have been better if you had just lied. Again, looking out for number one, looking out for himself and his own self-pity and now all of a sudden there's this shift 
He's referenced as Israel, which isn't the first time, but he's referenced as Israel. And then you kind of see this steely resolve all of a sudden start to take shape. It's like uh, in, in Lord of the Rings, when that, uh, when that king, I think it's in the second movie, when that king is being controlled by uh, whoever the bad guy is. Sorry if I don't know all this completely. And then like he's released of that control and all of a sudden is like, oh, now I'm back and I'm ready to take on the world. That's, that's what Jacob is doing here. Jacob to Israel is like, okay, here's what we got to do. We, if you're going to do this, you're going to bring some fruit with you. You're going to bring some presents. I had to do this with my brother Esau and it worked out pretty well. So bring some of this stuff, bring some, a little balm if their hands, you know, whatever, uh, a little bit of honey, some gum, some myrrh, pistachio nuts, because who doesn't love pistachios? I don't, I, I really don't like them. Uh, but some people really love them, I guess. And, 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 and you can go, and if you got to bring take the money with you, perhaps it was an oversight, and, uh, and, and go, and, and hopefully you guys all come back in one piece. And it's, if I'm bereaved, then I'm bereaved. Again, here we are, Jacob slash Israel giving up control. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the man into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that <clears throat> excuse me, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. <laughs> okay. I don't like come on. He's the prince he's the he's the prime minister of Egypt. He's he's second in command to Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh listens to the guy. Brothers, I mm, uh, I, I don't think he's going after your donkey, <laughs> okay? I, didn't, I, don't, I just don't think that that's what the, the whole plan is here. But when you have that guilty conscience, remember from last week, guilty conscience make connections. When we have that guilty conscience, it makes connections and we, and we, get the, we think the worst. Like, oh, he's inviting us in. That we're we're going to become slaves. They're going to take our donkey. <laughs> they're, they're, they're we're not going to have any more donkeys, you guys. I don't, I don't know. We're not going to have a donkey anymore. Like, do you really think that, that that's the biggest thing that they're worried about? Like, that's the, that's the one. Oh, man, they're going to take our donkeys. They've already taken Simeon. Now they're asking for Benjamin. What's next? Our donkeys? <laughs> I could just, I don't know. Sometimes scripture makes me laugh. I hope it can make you laugh as well. I think it's funny that they were really worried about about Joseph, the the prime minister of Egypt, take, taking the donkeys because they probably don't have enough. Um, so they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and he spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, so he didn't take them, They prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. So they're getting prepared to uh, to meet to meet Joseph, which they don't know is Joseph. They're prepared to meet this guy again, and they did a lot of explaining. Like, and you start to see the humility of these brothers. Whereas before, it wasn't there. Now it is. They're starting to say, "Listen, this is what happened. We're very sorry. We brought double the money, and and the steward is saying, you guys are good." Come on in. There's, there's no need to worry. There's no need to listen. Uh, peace to you. Do not be afraid. God and the God of your fathers put the treasure back in your sack. We, have, we had the money. We, you, you, you gave it to us. We know. We received your money. Somehow you got the money back. Now he's behind all of this, and that wasn't necessarily a lie because they did receive the money. So they did a lot of explaining and, and preparing for Joseph to come because those guilty hearts, they feel like they have to explain everything. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. 
And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. Again, just like the dream. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. This is the first time in 20-some in years that he's seen his brother Benjamin. Benjamin was probably just a small boy at this time. They probably didn't have too much of a relationship, but Joseph probably looked after Benjamin a little bit. Again, it's, a, it's the only full brother. These other brothers are half-brothers. Benjamin is the only full brother of Joseph. These two have some sort of a different connection because they're the only ones whose mom was Rachel. And just upon seeing him for the first time, it just, it brings Joseph to tears and he has to, he has to leave. He has to leave. And you're, some of the guys are probably thinking, well, oh, man, that's just, that, that's kind of a, 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 a wussy thing for a guy to do to cry. I don't know. I think as guys get older, they tend to cry more and more and more. Um, I don't know what it is about age, but guys tend to cry more as they get older. I don't know why, but... Um, has nothing to do with anything. Verse 31, then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because of the Egyptians, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Don't show you that one yet. Ah, I just messed up. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> and they drank and were merry with him. So Joseph tests brothers again. Okay, let me, let me go back just a, just a moment here. Uh, when it said that he gave the youngest Benjamin, he gave the youngest Benjamin five times as much. This is another test. This is another test of the brothers by giving him five times more than the others. Remember, Joseph was the favored son beforehand. And so when, when, when Jacob slash Israel had bestowed gift upon gift, coat of many colors, all that kind of stuff onto um, onto Joseph, the brothers were jealous of it. They didn't like him. And then when Joseph was put in charge over them as a sub supervisor, they didn't like it even more. And that's what started. And then when he said that they were going to bow down to him, like there was a lot of rage. There was a lot of jealousy in the brothers and they hated him for it. And that was what started this whole thing uh, to try to murder Joseph and to make him go away. And so Joseph is going to test the brothers again. The one thing, the one thing that, that would have ruined everything for Joseph uh, in their eyes, in, in this whole situation. The one thing that would ruin everything if, is how they re reacted when he gave that much more to Benjamin. And apparently, nothing happened because we don't hear of anything. It just says that, as, uh, that, that they drank and were merry with him. Now, what that means is they drank and were merry with him. That part of were merry with him, yeah, it means they got drunk. It means they drank and they drank and they drank and they drank and they got drunk. And that's a big setup for next week, for what happens in the next chapter, in chapter 44. Don't worry, it's not why this family type stuff, uh, it, but it plays an important part into what's going to happen next week. So don't miss out on next week. But the brothers, I, just, I don't know, I think it's funny again that uh, they were having a good old party and, uh, and, and they ended up getting completely drunk. And that's the end of the chapter. That's, that's the end of this chapter. And so um, what I want to bring about is uh, I, I, I want to look at this. We can start to see the brothers start to soften. We can start to see they were merry. Things were going well. They were invited in. They had a party. They got drunk. But they had a party. They were together. It has a, a, a good feeling here. There's, there's good things going on. They are starting to change their ways. They're starting to be repentance. And, and here's the thing, is that it, 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 there's a lot of things that can draw us to Jesus. But the biggest thing is that his love draws us in. 
His love draws us in. Notice how the guard starts to go down with the brothers. Notice how with those 10 or 11 now that the guard is starting to go down. There's a lot of apprehension. They had the guilty consciences. They were, they're, they're scared of, ben, uh, of Joseph. Uh, and now the guard is starting to go down because they've been welcomed in. They've had this feast. They thought they were going there to be slaves and get their donkey stolen. But now what's happening is, is they are now starting to soften. To Joseph. Their hearts are starting to soften all around where true repentance can actually happen. Love draws us in. In Romans, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Love draws us in. I don't know how this would have played out had Joseph not acted in the way that he does. That he had he not welcomed them in, had he not given money back over to them. Had, like he's they're they're given lavish gift after lavish gift, and and they're starting to soften. They're starting to be welcomed. They're starting to be trusting. Love draws us in, and I think we we got to look at that when in our own lives. Like how are we reaching out to people? How are we making a dent in our community? Our vision for Restoration Church is people following Jesus. <clears throat> and the only way that we're going to get people following Jesus is through love. It's through love. And, and, and my friends, if there is ever a time where love is needed, where, where the Christian love is needed, where the love of Christ is needed, it's in the year 2021 and soon to be 2022. But, you know, 2022, everything will be fine by then anyway. So 2021, for the, for the next few weeks, we have to love and we need to show the world love because we know what it takes to love. We see the example of what Jesus did and we try to replicate that. Love is going to bring people in. It's not a harsh word. It's not a rebuke of the world around us. It's not whatever you think on social media that's going to, uh, what, what, whatever the, the, the cause is for you right now, whether it's anti-mask, anti-vaccination, anti-whatever, anti, isn't it weird that all of us are a little bit anti so many different things in the world right now? What if instead of anti-everything, we were just loving. <laughs> what, what would it look like if we just decided just to, what does it look like for me to love the person next to me? What does it look like for me to love my wife better? What does it look like to me to love my family better? What does it look like to me to love the gas station attendant better? What does it look like for me to love the bartender, the server, the restaurant worker, the, the grocery store worker, the person at the auto mechanic place, at wherever it is that you go, the, the guy that cut you off in traffic? What does it look like if we respond with love and not vengeance? I think we would start to see a change in the world around us. Our vision, like I said, is people following Jesus and the way to do that is with love. And we show love to people by being transparent with them, by having community with them. We get to see change. Love draws us in. And we see some things start to happen here uh, with this family. They're going through the famine. They're going through a whole lot of stuff. And, and even though there's a famine going on, even though all of this stuff is happening, like just before they got there, they were probably very hungry. They probably had rationing of their food. And now they get to enjoy this huge feast with the prime minister of, of Egypt. And there's some things that we can learn about how to weather a famine. How to weather a famine. A lot of us get stuck in, in continual famines. We, we reject this love and, and, and we, we start to forget about love and we become 
just complacent in a famine. Some of us are, are in a continual famine of over and over and over. We're griping about the same things, but never changing. Like uh, Jacob has been for, for some time now, at the beginning of this chapter, he's, he, he, he keeps complaining about the famine and about things that are going, that he's, he, that they don't want to, he doesn't want to give Benjamin up. Uh, he, he's more interested in what he's taking care of for himself. All of that, like the same things of, of Jacob slash Israel has, has continues to show through. And, and, and he continues to be in this famine. And we think that, oh man, in just a little bit, this famine's going to be over. We'll be done with it. Whatever. This famine's going to end. Spiritual famine. But then like, here we are again with the same issue. Like last chapter, they didn't have any grain. So Jacob sent them to Egypt to get more grain. And now uh, here we are a chapter later, starts out the exact same way, severe famine. They don't take it seriously enough. And now they need to go get more grain. They haven't prepared for the famine. They haven't learned how to weather the famine. And so now they find themselves back at the exact same place. And a lot of us do the exact same thing. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that are the exact same conversation day after day, month after month, year after year. It's a problem with a spouse. It's a problem with work. It's a problem with with friends. And it's always the same things over and over again. And sometimes it's just like, do you realize that for as long as I've known you, the same things keep happening? You keep complaining about the exact same things. You're not weathering the famine. You're not getting out of the famine. You're just stuck in it and you want to keep complaining about it. So I wanted to do for the rest of this passage or for the rest of this message, which isn't that much longer, I just want to talk about how to weather a famine because some of us, I just don't think we know how to do it because we would rather be stuck in it than move forward. But God doesn't want us to be stuck anywhere. He continually wants us to move forward. So how do we weather a famine? Well, the first thing we have to do is remain remaining. Remain remaining. It's back to John 15. We talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, that Jesus was talking about this at the Last Supper to to continue to remain in him, abide in him. Uh, Apart from the vine, the branches can bear no fruit. But when you're attached to the vine, you get fruit. Apart from the branch or from the vine, bad. In with the vine, good. Got it? Got it? Remain, remain. He says it 11 times to remain in him and his spirit will remain in us. We have to continue to remain remaining. And I know sometimes during a famine, whether it's a spiritual famine, a global pandemic, uh, capital riots or, or, or uh, rioting in the streets or whatever it is, like take your pick over the last few years of what famine is, is going on. We decide to move away from Jesus and get bogged down into the swamp, the crap of life around us. And we stop remaining and we start diving into all this other stuff. We have to continue to remain, remain, remaining. Don't walk away from Jesus. And so that's the very first thing is that we remain remaining. We can't do the other things on this list until we are truly remaining in him. If we are not remaining in him, the rest of this list is void. We, we can throw it away because it's not going to lead us to good outcomes. It might lead us to some outcomes, but they're not going to be the right ones. Okay, so this can be applicable to life. But if you are a follower of Christ and you are not remaining, then you are going to be tired by the end of this list. You are going to be worn out by the, tired of, by, by the end of this list. You are going to be exhausted by the end of this list if you try to work through this list without remaining. Okay? I can't preface this enough. Remain, 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 remain. Okay? Remain in Jesus. All right. First thing, second thing is to view your options. We see that Jacob in the beginning of the story, he's got two options. Starve to death or risk everything. Starve to death or risk everything. So many times in life, we we feel so overwhelmed when we're in a famine. We don't even know what options are available to us. We only look at the problem. We only see what this this mountain that's in front of us. And we think, there's nothing I can do. Some of us, in in a response to anything, there's fight, flight, or freeze, right? Some of us go to to fight. We want to fight it. That's an option, I guess. We freeze or we run. Fight flight or freeze. So we, we, we can run away from our problem, probably not a good thing to do, or we freeze. 
when we're looking at our options, we, we can't get stuck. View your options, but don't get stuck. Okay, what are the options? Like, you've just got to think critically through it. If you're going through a spiritual famine, look through, why am I in a spiritual famine? Number one, am I remaining? No? Okay, well then let's go back to remaining. Let's start back there. Option one, go back to that. Option two, continue in this filth that I'm in. Those are the options. If I'm in a spiritual famine, I get to see, okay, what are the things that, if I'm remaining, now, now what are the other things that are happening here? Is, is, my, is my church culture healthy? Am I, am, I, am I involved in a community group? Am I serving people's needs, not just in the church, but outside the church? Am I going out and being uh, the light of Jesus, which is what he called us to do? Am I making disciples? Am I going out and, and, and spreading the love of Jesus around me? What am I doing? Okay, here's my options. I can make sure I do that or I cannot. So we view our options, but don't get stuck. Some of us are like, oh, there's this, I, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I, I just don't know what to do. Like picking out paint colors for a wall, like you're like, oh man, there's so many paints. If you ever go to Home Depot and just see all of the colors of paints, you can get overwhelmed the, with the amount of options and you can just be like, I guess I'm just not going to do anything because I don't even know where to begin with these colors. I mean, how many different shades of green are there? Really, like, you, it's, it's limitless <laughs> what you can do. And, and we can get stuck. Know your options, view your options, but don't get stuck. Okay, the second thing, this is gonna blow your mind. Start make, the, make a decision. <laughs> Start making some decisions. Make a decision. The, and forgive your missteps. Some of us are too afraid to make a decision because it might be the wrong one. But if I'm remaining, I know what my options are. I have to trust that God is going to put me in the right spot. And, 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 and if not, I need to have forgiveness for this. Recently, I was working on uh, our, our flooring at the house, and we put in some, some new flooring, and... Um, we have a kitchen island that I was going around and I was putting these pieces in and I had a leftover piece that I was going to use for one, one small piece um, and, and I tried putting it in. I had it cut right. I, had, I didn't measure the length though. I only measured uh, the, the width of it to get to the island and I didn't measure the length. So I just cut it down to what it had to be. Again, this was a leftover piece so it wasn't even a brand new piece and when I put it down, it went way past the island. It was like if the island ended here, the, the board went here and I was like, well, that's not going to work because I had this cut all the way here. So I was like, okay, I could cut it there, but then I would have this weird butt joint thing. I'm just going to have to start over. Instead of starting over, I quit. <laughs> I just quit. It was the end of the day for me, like later at night, like you're getting tired. You just don't want to be doing this anymore. And, and I, I just quit. But I, I, I wasn't able to forgive my misstep in that second. In that moment, I wasn't able. Now I went back to it the next day, or the next evening, and got back to work. But I, so many of us will make a decision, it'll be the wrong one, and that overwhelms us because we're not remaining. Again, we go back to the beginning. Because I wasn't remaining, now I, now I, now I feel like I'm back at square one and I can't go forward. I don't want to view my options again. I don't want to make another decision. I'm just going to sit down right here. I just, I just, I just, I'm just gonna, I, I don't know anything anymore. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit down. My daughter recently, uh, we're on our way to school, she, we were trying to get to school and you know, it's winter time. So you got hats and gloves and all that kind of stuff. You got to get your winter boots on and it's a big old thing. You've got to get snow pants ready. And I, sometimes winter is just exhausting, right? And, and she, she's, she's on the brink of a meltdown. It's morning. She's not necessarily a morning person and she's trying to find her gloves. She can't find them. And we're trying to rush out the door because we're already late as it is. And because with four kids, it can be chaos going out of the house. And instead of like continuing to move forward, she looked in one spot. She didn't find it. She had made a decision. Some views or options made a decision. That wasn't it. And so instead of just like plowing forward and getting it done, she just sat down and started crying. <laughs> and I was just like, sweetie, we can't sit down and start crying right now because we got to go. Like we're, we're going to be late for school. Some of us just, we make a bad decision and we just sit down and start crying and we never recover. And we stay in the famine. So make a decision and forgive your missteps. The last one is this. 
Go all in for his glory and purposes. I didn't, I didn't have to add a second thing to that. It's go all in for his glory and his purposes. We view the options, we don't get stuck, we make a decision, and we go all in for his glory and purpose. Not so that we can become better, that we get the praise, that we get the glory, but it's all for him and his glory. Romans 12, 2, the verse I kind of uh, showed you guys briefly earlier, says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That by testing, so do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Continue remaining, remain remaining. Don't walk away from that faith. Don't walk away from Jesus. Remain in the vine and he will remain in you. So don't be conformed to this world. I know there's a lot of arguments you can get into right now on social media. I know there's a lot of people that wanna pull you the wrong way. I know there's a lot of temptation all around you, whether it's online with a website, whether it's on a billboard, whether it's somebody at work. I know, I know there's temptation. Do not be conformed to this world remain remaining. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by remaining in him. Then you can test by testing, viewing your options and making a decision. You can discern, you'll be able to see through your options, what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? And once you see that, you go all in and you hold nothing back. And it's all for his glory and purpose. And there's going to be painful points along the way. We're going to have moments where life is not making any sense to us. We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to have to forgive our missteps. Going all in might be exhausting sometimes. We might go away from the remaining. This path that we're on, it might be filled with, with, with difficulties. Maybe we're asking a question of why even is there a famine in the first place? I'm going to say something that never say to a grieving person. (laughs) I'm going to preface it there. There's purpose in pain. There's purpose in pain. We see it in this story of Israel and the story of Jacob. What's going on here? There's purpose in pain. I'm sure there were moments in Jacob's life, in Israel's life, especially in this moment, these last couple of years, where he's in this famine and he's getting up in the morning and he's praying that there's rain. He's praying for this famine to end because he sees the grains getting low and he knows what's required if that grain hits the rock bottom. But God doesn't end the famine. Even though Jacob's probably praying for it. God needed their attention. He needed restoration of this family. He, he, he had a bigger purpose in mind than just the comforts of Jacob and his family. There's purpose in the pain here. It wasn't easy for Jacob to send Benjamin on. It wasn't easy for the brothers to go there a second time and submit themselves. It wasn't easy for Joseph to get sold into slavery, be accused of rape, be sold into prison, or be put in prison, and then climb through the ranks. It's, it's not easy, but there is purpose in pain. God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get the church's attention. We can be comfortable. We can we can say, "Oh, things are going so easy, right? Like things are going good. Like life is good. Our ministry is good. All this is good." We can look at the American church and see that over the last 30 years, we've had what would presume to be a bumper crop of people coming in, probably for the last 
I don't know, yeah, 30 years or so. We've just seen church after church after church explode, but now recently we've seen the churches start to shrink, and, and, and I think we're headed into a famine because I think God wants our attention. We've gotten so uh, connected to the, to the stuff that we have, and we've been so program-focused that we forget to be people-focused. And, and so it's like uh, God just wants us to do away with all of the programs and start getting in with the people. How can we connect with a person? And so, yeah, there's purpose in the pain right now of a church that might be just Fold, not, our, not ours right now, but uh, churches that are just folding because God is trying to get our attention. There's so many churches that didn't make it through the pandemic. Churches that are, gr- or that are shrinking through the pandemic because God is trying to get our attention. There's purpose in pain and God will use whatever he needs to do to get our attention because all that matters is that we follow him, that we are people following Jesus. That's all he wants from us. And I look at what the brothers have had to go through to get to a point of repentance. Just to get to the point of repentance, they had to feel a material need. They They were literally in a famine and they had nothing. They had to feel that material need. Otherwise, they were cushy. Life would have gone on without Joseph. No reconciliation, no gathering together, no repentance, nothing. They would have just gone straight to the grave without any sort of reconciliation. There had to be a material need. There also had to be a pain of harsh treatment. They were, they were treated harshly in Egypt. It started to, to soften that, that cold heart of theirs. They started to grow three times. Uh, there was involuntary, solitary confinement for these 10. They had to get put in prison and had to be alone with their thoughts. These are all things that had to happen to get them to a point of repentance. And then there had to be a proof in the small things of, of God, of something greater. They were given this amazing gift. Remember, love draws us in. If those things awoke in the brothers that there was a need for something, that love that en- enveloped them with the gifts that they received is, 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 um, is proof in the small things. Oh, we got this money back. Why did we get this money back? And it started to soften their hearts anymore. Then there were circumstances beyond their control. They had a, a, a person in Egypt who was demanding a younger brother to be brought in there. There was uh, the circumstance of the famine and what was to be done with that. How do we do this? There were things that were happening beyond their control. Those are all things that had to happen to them before God could even get their attention, before they were even recognizing God. And then finally, we see Jacob, Israel, say, go with God Almighty. May he give you compassion and mercy. Finally, finally, God gets brought into the picture to these brothers. And we finally see Judah starting to take shape to become the leader that he's meant to be, to care for all of the brothers, to care for everyone around him. And we see it even more in the next chapter. And that all had to happen through the pain. If there wasn't pain, they wouldn't have gone through those things. They wouldn't have become the men that they became. And I know that's a harsh thing to say because a lot of us feel a lot of pain sometimes. Believe me, I have lived it. I've experienced it. I've, I've, I've lost a brother who, who, was, who, who tragically died when I was four years old. I've shared the story before. Uh, he was two, I was four. He, he, he died uh, tragically. It's hard to say, but there's purpose in that pain. Because since then, my parents have been able to invest in couple after couple, parent after parent that has unfortunately lost a loved one. Do you know how many people come to faith in Jesus Christ at a funeral? A heck of a lot more than ones that come to faith at a wedding. Very few people ever come to faith at a wedding, but a lot more of them come to Jesus in a funeral. Pain is necessary and there's purpose in pain. And ultimately, God decided to bring them to Egypt for a very special purpose. See, in the last few verses, and I, I know I'm against it in time, but it talks about how Joseph had to eat a meal by himself, the brothers ate their meal by themselves, and the Egyptians that were there ate separate from them. Egypt was a very, very, very segregated place. And all throughout this, the thread that's gone through all of Genesis, especially this later part of Genesis, especially when you read Exodus, is why did God bring them to Egypt? 
Have you thought about that? Like, why, why Egypt? Why? It's a question that I wrestle with as I read through this. It's like, why did God allow them to go to Egypt? And the, and the, uh, the clues are in, are in verse 32, where it says, they served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the he- Hebrews, for there, that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Egypt was a very racist and segregated place at this time. Had they stayed the course, again, with no repentance from the brothers, had they stayed the course, they would have acclimated to the land in Canaan. They would have married people in Canaan. They would have, the the nation of Israel would have been convoluted. It would have not been what it is later on. But because God brought them out of Canaan and into Egypt, which was a land where they would not be allowed to marry Egyptians for the most part, they would be isolated by themselves. They would be only allowed to mingle with themselves. They would not be accepted in the culture. God sustains the nation of Israel so that Jesus can come through it. Had they stayed in Canaan, who knows what would have happened? Acclimated with the culture, blended in, whatever. But through the pain, there is redemption and salvation. The purpose and the pain was to bring about the Savior. And the purpose and the pain of the Savior was to bring about our salvation. Jesus endured the cross for us. We identify in his pain. We identify in his suffering. And we go all in for him and his purpose. I know there's going to be pain. I I can't even imagine what the pain is going to be in the years ahead. But if I remain remaining, we'll weather this famine. And we'll see purpose in this pain. And we'll cling to Jesus and we'll see him one way or the other. And at the end of that journey, through all the hardship, through all of life, we'll get to the end of that road. And he's going to say, well done. You endured proud to call you my child. I'm proud to call you my son. I'm proud to call you my daughter. God, may we draw into your love. Through this famine, Lord, I pray whatever famine it is that we're going through, whether it's a spiritual famine, a physical famine, a relational famine, an emotional famine, whatever it is, God, that we would remain remaining in you. God, we wouldn't grow stagnant, we wouldn't get stuck, and that we would see purpose in the pain. Thank you for the pain that you endured. You endured the pain of the cross for our salvation. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.